Exodus chapter 20, continuing our series, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 6. Hear now the words of the Lord. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord, I the Lord your God am a jealous God and visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. I literally didn't know what to expect. We got in our cars and we drove from campus in Cordova uh, to this huge temple. We drive through these golden plated gates. And we get to the top of a hill. We get out of the car and we walk up to this beautiful structure. It's a Hindu temple. Visiting a Hindu temple for the first time, I will never forget it. First thing you need to do when you go into a Hindu temple is you need to take your... Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to be invited. Um, But after that, you need to take off your shoes. And as I'm walking around this Hindu temple, I could just feel how cold the marble floors were. There's gold-plated things everywhere, all over this temple. There's enough space to seat probably 150 folks or more on the floor there. And what strikes me, there's all of these little altars all over the place. See, the Hindus believe that there is one God that they worship, but that God can flesh itself out in many different manifestations. And so what we were seeing to the Hindu was many different manifestations. It kind of blew my mind what I saw because not only did I see these structures, these creatures created by man's hands, But I saw food laid at their feet. And I saw money in a plate before these Hindu gods. And people would come and bow down before these gods. And people would give their time and their worship to these gods. And you know, here in our Western culture, um, we talked to the leader, and I I can't remember if he's called a priest or... uh, And he said that, you know what, when I see an Indian person in in the mall, I just go up to them, even if I don't know them, and I just ask them, why haven't you been to the temple? Because to be Indian is to be Hindu. And I thought to myself, man, I ought to start doing that. Like... Random people in Bluff City Coffee Shop, hey, why haven't you been to church? Like, sir, who are you? What, why haven't you been? Um, but here you go. We're in this temple, and it just strikes me that people literally come, these clay figures, and they bow down, and they worship them. You know, that may sound crazy, but you and I, we have 
our own gods that we worship as well, don't we? Put up one of those pictures for me, the first one. We worship things, don't we? Elvis. There are people, hundreds of thousands of people that come to Memphis every year just to see the remnants of Elvis. They want to see his cars, and they want to see his airplanes, and they want to see where he lived, and they want to take pictures. And um, side note, did y'all see the story uh, in the news about the couple who came uh, from Canada to, to visit Elvis, and their dog was stolen out of their car? Even before they even got to Elvis' house. They never even got there because somebody stole their dog. And here they are, uh, uh, hundreds of miles away from home or miles away from home. And they lose their dog, but they came to see Elvis. They, they came to worship him. Who else do we have here? Ah. If you like it, then you better put a ring on um, Beyonce, Bay. Do do we have some Beyonce worshipers here? Y'all won't admit it in church, but I know we do. Beyonce, ah, yeah, you you laughed at the Elvis folks, but we got some Beyonce worshipers here. What else do we have? Ooh, ooh. Do we have some folks worshiping the king of Apple or technology? How many times have you left your house and forgotten your phone and even though you would be late, you turned around to go get it? Ah, Our computers, our iPads, iPad minis. There are some people in this church that I personally know of that stood hours in line. I won't call your names out. When the iPhone 6 came out, we worship our stuff. And we may, we may laugh at the folk that go into the Hindu temple and bow down before these created creatures, but we bow down to things as well. We're always looking for something to worship. It's because God created us to worship. We are people of worship. And that's the point of our text this morning. In the same way that a person in a Hindu temple with shrines set up all over the place, in the same way that they are prepared to worship, you and I, we worship our own things as well. How easy is it for us to worship created things rather than the Creator? I want us to investigate three main ideas this morning. We'll see that no idol is worthy of worship. We'll see that idolatry has consequences. And lastly, we'll see that God's mercy even reaches idolaters. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, would you tend to us during this time? Lord, we've experienced corporate prayer together, corporate reading of the word corporate worship. Father, we need to send under the word and would you just speak to us? 
Father, I pray that you would make clear all that you would have for us to hear and see and experience during this time. Lord, we need you. We need you to eliminate distractions. We need you to open our eyes and our ears. We need you to convict us. We need you to challenge us. We need you this morning. So would you do work on us during our time? Father, we'll be faithful to give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So the message of Exodus is that sin enslaves us and yet God sets us free. Sin enslaves us over and over again, but yet God sets us free. I love this. Directly before our passage at the end of Exodus 19, God says, For I am the Lord your God who, get this, brought you out of Egypt. Do you hear freedom there? I am your God, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. And what we can see is, you'll hear that same tone over and over again throughout the Exodus. And what we need to know is that God is a deliverer. He's a deliverer. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. All of the Ten Commandments can be be viewed under the same umbrella of Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39. Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the Ten Commandments, they are under this umbrella of love God and love one another. The Ten Commandments, they, they can almost be seen as this weight, but they're not intended to be seen as this, this weight upon our shoulders. They are to let us know that we are far from God without Jesus. They are to show us our great need for Jesus because these Ten Commandments, we cannot accomplish them on our own. This law, we cannot accomplish it on our own. See, idolatry in antiquity, it was extremely serious. It was severe. It wasn't just about images and it just wasn't about statues, but it was an entire, it was an entire lifestyle. It was an entire religious system. Yet, it's the exact opposite of what God intended true worship to look like. What if we said uh, the last couple weeks, what have we done? We've said, if we view the Ten Commandments as a bridge to get to God, we're in trouble. Rather, we are to get to God and our hearts will long for the Ten Commandments. We said that a relationship with God will always precede obedience to God. And we said that obedience is evidence of faith and not a replacement for faith. Last week, Richard looked at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And he pulled from the heart of idolatry. Today, we'll continue that same conversation. First, we need to see that no idol is worthy of our worship. No idol is worthy of our worship. Look at verse 4 again. Verse 4 and 5a says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
See, the same language that's used here is the same kind of language that was used in Genesis during the creation story. This same kind of language. It, hear this. Likeness. Heaven above. Earth beneath. Water under the heaven. Even in Genesis, God created a great deal. He created the heaven above and the waters. And he created the, the earth. And what he said was, it's good. But God said, I create these things and they are good. But God did not say they were the ultimate. And so often, you and I, we take God's good thing and we try to make it an ultimate thing. And we worship them. See, Beyonce can sing, right? She can, she can sing, but she is not to be worshipped. Yes, we can celebrate her gifts and her musical ability, but she is not to be worshipped. See, God has made worship exclusive to him. The problem we have is not necessarily an idolatry problem. We have a worship problem. We are all worshiping all the time. All the time we are worshiping. You and I will worship all the time. But the question becomes, who and what will we worship? It's not if we worship, but who and what will we worship? Did you catch the language in verse 5? Look at this in verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. It's a worship problem. The most common things we worship. What's the most common thing that we worship? We worship ourselves. More than anything else, you and I, we worship ourselves. Man, that's why... At the beginning of the year, gyms are filled. Because we worship ourselves. That's why that, that, that product in the mall, Mac, they make a lot of money because we worship ourselves. Shoes fly off the shelves, ladies, because we worship ourselves. Some of us men aren't satisfied until we have the latest or the greatest gadgets or the nicest cars. We, we worship ourselves more than we worship anything else. We have a worship problem. It's like marriage. In a marriage, you, you, walk, to that, you walk down that aisle and you go to that altar... You dress up nice and you stand in front of one another and you say, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, we're going to love one another. I got your back. You're going to be my ride or die. And you look in each other's eyes and you really intend to mean that. You, you, you mean it and you, you want it to be forever. But yet, 50% of marriages end in divorce for whatever reason. That's because we worship ourselves. We pursue our own interest above God's interest. Um, have some friends of mine who, man, going through, struggling. And um, a good friend of mine... The husband, uh, they've been married for five or six years. The husband um, got strung out on crack cocaine. And 
man, he called me one day and, and said, man, I, I, I want to talk to you about this and kind of unloaded. Um, they don't live in Memphis and um, unloaded on me. And he was just telling me about his relationship with his wife during that time. And he's my age. I mean, he's 30 years old. Um, And he talked to me about how his wife was feeling through all of this. And he's been clean for two weeks now. Telling me about his wife and how he's lied to his wife over the course of being strung out. And how his wife has been hurt by many of those lies. Why in the world would his wife feel that way? Because she loves him. And because she expects his devotion to her beyond any other kind of drug. And that's what we see here in this passage. God says, you are to give your worship, your affection, your love to nothing else. It's like a marriage. In which you are to love the supreme, perfect, holy God more than you love anything else. But yet, how often do we cheat on Him? We've got tons of idols. We, we worship tons of things. We worship technology. We worship our own family. It's crazy to me. In the South, we worship getting married young. People look at you like you have the blue plague if you're not married by 30. Like something is wrong with you. Because we, we worship certain values. You know the problem with our idolatry and our lack of worship is we want to be in control. We want to be at the center. We want to control every single item of our life. So I'm in control of my own pleasure. So I can go have sex with anybody I want to have sex with. I'm in control. And God says, no, you are not in control. I formed you. You belong to me. And your worship should come to me and nobody else. Secondly, idolatry has consequences. Look at verse 5. It says this, You shall not bow down to them, Or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. See, this doesn't mean that God is saying, if your father sinned, you will be held accountable for your father's sins. That's not what God is saying. What God is pointing to is this idea of generational curses. So the same thing that your father or your mother struggled with becomes your struggle. And you begin to indulge in the same kind of sins that your mother or your father indulged in. And you face some of the same consequences that your mother or your father faced. So your, your, maybe your mother was an alcoholic... Maybe, maybe your father was strung out or he never could commit to a woman. And now you face the same sins. There are consequences that God is pointing to here. 
See, idolatry is so desirable because we want to be in the captain's seat. We want to be in control. Yet, idolatry will always take us further than where we want to go. It will always over-promise and under-deliver. Idolatry will lie to us and it will destroy us. And that's what God is pointing to here. He's saying, the sins of your mother and the sins of your father, they then become your sins and you will face consequences. You've lifted up the same idols, you've lifted up those things up just like your mom or just like your dad did. And I want to tell you this morning that there is a way not just to break down those idols, but also to break those cycles. You do not have to be held to the sins of your parents. You can start a new legacy. Just because your daddy was an alcoholic does not mean you have to be an alcoholic. You can start a new legacy. Just because your mom was a rolling stone and wasn't faithful to anybody doesn't mean that has to be your story. Hear me this morning. God has grace for you. Mercy available for you. I had two uncles and back to the same theme of addiction, but um, two uncles who OD'd on heroin 30 days apart from one another. They died. Rocked my family. Um, Such a hard thing to experience. And, I mean, we hadn't even finished grieving over the first uncle yet. And 30 days later, another uncle is gone. Then I had a third uncle, um, six uncles, Two of them, 30 days apart, boom, just gone. Then a third uncle who, as well, struggled with an addiction to heroin. And he got caught up trying to get money for his addiction um, and went to jail. He was in and out of jail, but this last time, uh, they held him for over a year. And I remember talking to my uncle and just hearing... Just how he was beginning to change, even while he was in prison. And he got out. He was sober. And is still uh, sober to this day. But you, you can just know that there was strain on his marriage. There was strain on the relationships that he had with family. Um, he lost some things while he was in prison. There were consequences to his actions. He lost over a year of freedom. Having to sleep in an 8 by 8 cell with cold walls and cold floors. There were consequences to his idolizing that drug. And I want to tell you this morning that there will be consequences for us as well. But God says... It does not have to stop there. That doesn't have to be the end of the story. And I can look at my own life when I am pursuing success, when I'm pursuing pleasure, it always leaves me in a dark place. What about you? What areas of your life are you worshiping the wrong things? 
What areas of your life have you idolized the wrong things? What, what areas are you attempting to control when you ought to be yielding that to God? What have you idolized? What have you elevated? Lastly, God's mercy reaches idolaters. Look at verse 6. For those that love Him, He shows unfailing, loyal love to thousands of generations. Which tells us, get this, God is eager He is excited about showing us mercy and compassion. Where do you get that from? He says, the consequences of your sin and your idolatry can go back three or four generations. But if you love me, it will go thousands of generations. That tells us that God is excited about, He is eager to show you and I mercy. Thousands of generations, he says. He points to this deep, unfailing, this rich, loyal love. God shows us his mercy ultimately through Jesus. The only image that is worth worship, the only image that is worth lifting up, the only image that is worth our praise is Jesus. God says, you know what we, 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 what we do and when we idolize things, when we lift up our idols, we, what we're doing, and we don't even know this, but we're attempting to explain God because we're attempting to get at ultimate pleasure. And what we really want, what we long for, even if we don't know how to articulate it, we long for the best expression of God. We, we long for something that has been formed and shaped in the image of God. And you know what it is? It's Jesus. What our hearts really long for is Jesus. Colossians tells us that He is the exact re- representation of God. If you want to know what God is like if you want to experience real pleasure and true joy, you go to Jesus. Jesus was formed in the likeness of God and He came in the form of a man. And God says, if you want to know me, come to Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He was the ultimate picture of mercy. And Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that tells me that God is excited about extending grace and mercy to those that don't deserve it. He's excited about it. He gets a kick out of extending mercy and grace to you and I. Everything we need to know about God is revealed in Jesus. In 2003, there was a serial killer who was caught. He killed 43 people. And in exchange for details about these murders, in exchange for details about how he did these things and where to find the remains, 
they, the prosecutor gave him life without the possibility of parole. And he had to plead guilty to each of them. And I watched this court case, a clip of it not long ago. Forty-three times the judge stood on the stand and read off, in the case of the murder of so-and-so, how do you plead guilty? Guilty. Guilty. Forty-three times. The judge gave opportunity for the family members to come and respond to this man who had taken away their loved ones. His face was like a stone, no emotion whatsoever. And person after person came up to the stand and they began to talk to him about the people that he had taken away from them. They told him that they hated him and that they were disgusted with him. He had this glazed over, emotionless face. Over and over again, family member after family member. I hate you. I hope you die in prison. I hope you rot in prison. Over and over again, they spewed at him. But then there was one old white-haired man. He moseyed on up to the witness stand. And he began to talk about the loved one that he had lost. And he looked this man in the face. And he says to him, it may not mean anything to you, but I forgive you. I forgive you. You. And he said to him, you are forgiven. And do you know that this hardened criminal, this serial killer, broke with tears coming down his face? And I want to tell you this morning, that is the kind of loyal love that God has extended to you and I. Maybe you hadn't murdered anybody, maybe you have. But your sin was just as heavy and God looked you in the face through Jesus and he said, you are forgiven. I give my mercy to you. I extend grace to you. He gave you a chance to walk out of the courtroom scot-free. When your sin was like the sin and the crime of a serial killer. And I want to tell you that the only thing that is worth our idolization, our worship, our praise, our honor, the only thing that is worth our worship is Jesus. And God has sent Him to give His life. He has sent Him in the form of a man. He was obedient to death on a cross. He shed His own blood. He experienced mocking. He took the penalty and the weight of our sin. He was buried and He rose again. And He had victory all in His hand. He did that because He wanted to extend you and I mercy. And God, get this, has freely given it. And for you and I, in response, all we have to do is freely receive it. Have you received that kind of mercy?
Have you said yes to that kind of God who has given His only Son, who has freely given grace to you, an idolater? We worship the Beyonce's and the Elvises and we bow down in our proverbial temples and we worship created things when God says the only thing worth worshiping is Jesus. Have you recognized that? Have you said yes to Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You that You did not give up on us, God. Though our sin debt was very heavy, God, You didn't give up on us. Though we turned our back on You and we rebelled against You, God, You did not give up on us. You sent Jesus to us, the idolaters. You sent Jesus in our place for our sin. You sent Jesus to die the death that we should have died. You sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin. And God, you have called us to say yes to you. So Holy Spirit, would you call us? Would you compel us? Would you beckon us to say yes? Lord, even if it's in the car on the way home, if it's walking back to our apartment or condo, would you compel us to say yes, God? And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just say yes, but we would go to work for your cause and for your glory in this city. Lord, that downtown Memphis, that midtown, Lord, that Overton Square, that West Memphis and Marion, Lord, that Binghamton, that Germantown and Cordova, Lord, that our neighborhoods would change because we said yes to the grace-giving, unfailing, the loyal love kind of God. Compel us by your Spirit to do that. Move our hearts in that direction. That we may say yes to you. In Jesus' name.